It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Lil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Madeline Hayden is the founder and CEO of the fast-growing brand Nut Pods, a dairy-free creamer made from a blend of almonds and coconuts. The dairy alternatives market has seen a significant amount of growth in the past few years and is predicted to be worth about $20 billion by 2020. While this is great news, it also means that it is becoming increasingly difficult to stand out in this space. Unlike other brands that teamed up with major food conglomerates or took millions in investment when they were getting started, Madeline decided to do it differently. NutPods launched with a successful Kickstarter campaign and took off on Amazon in 2015. Thanks to their unique branding strategy and success marketing on social media and Amazon, NutPods continues to be a bestseller and Amazon's choice in the category, and is now also available in around 5,000 retail stores. In this episode, Madeline shares the story behind what inspired her to create a dairy-free creamer, the various challenges the company faced in its early stages, the role of social media in growing a brand, and how NutPods continues to outpace competition. Madeline believes that starting with a great product is key to any successful business. To learn more about NutPod's incredible story and how they continue to maintain their quality and mission as they grow, listen in. Madeline Hayden, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks, Neil. Madeline, so... NutPods has had an amazing journey as a brand and as a company in the last few years. One of the things that makes me really excited and interested in your story, actually, it's not one, it's several things, Um, three specific things. Firstly, it's you have a product in a category that's notoriously very crowded and seems very saturated, yet you were able to identify that white space and that need, and then you created a product that fulfilled that need and did it well which is why you're here now. Secondly, you had very atypical beginnings and a very atypical background, um, which is very unusual for the food space. And thirdly, you have done this in a way that has not been done before, starting with e-commerce first and then moving on to retail. And I think in all of that, the real story that, I mean, the takeaway I have is that there's no one right way to build a food company. Mm -hmm. And, Whatever limitations you may have in terms of um, lack of resources, whether it is uh, money or people, um, as well as lack of experience, there shouldn't be barriers to growing a food company if you're willing to learn, you're willing to uh, push for it, and you have the grit to to follow your ideas. And I think that's the nut pot story. Um, but we're going to get into it in detail today. Yes, <laughs> so I'm excited I'm so about excited that. Excited to share. So let's start right in the beginning. Um, 
for listeners that don't know how NutPods got its beginnings with um, Kickstarter and even before that, how the idea came about, can you give us a brief, brief background? Absolutely. You know, it's funny you talk about not having a background in food, and I used to call it food blue blood, where it's like, oh, I come from vitamin water, or I come from Crave, or, you know, these brands that people cut their teeth on. And and for me, it's like, well, I come from medical devices and blood banking. And so <laughs> it was very atypical. But I had been in, in businesses and in industries that were always geared around helping people with their health and, you know, being able to provide products and services that were of of that service. And so I think in some ways, NutPods is like the next generation of me wanting to help, you know, consumers. Um, the way that NutPods started is first and foremost, and I try not to lose this lens as a consumer. I was a mom and I was a consumer and I was just tired of waiting around for someone to come out with like a healthy creamer that wasn't loaded with sugar or yucky ingredients. And I just had hit that wall where I remember being in Burt's Cafe, you know, in Lake Tahoe and asking for a cup of coffee. And I was pregnant at the time. So extra conscientious about what you're putting in your body. It was decaf, by the way. (laughs) And, you know, looking at all the little cups in the little bowl and just saying, oh, I just don't want any of this. So I asked the waitress, I said, you know, do you happen to have anything else? And I was trying to wait get away from soy, but I was going to take soy over the processed creamers. And she said, sure, I'll be right back. So she comes back and she plunks down that huge canister of powdered non-dairy creamer. And I just looked at my husband and I said, why is it so hard to come out with something that's healthy? And like, not this. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the choices everywhere I go. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to stop waiting around for someone to come up with this. And I'm going to start in my kitchen and I'm going to make something honestly for myself. So that's how NutPod started. So you went from not having a product that you needed and decided that you were going to go and try to formulate something to meet that need. Is that kind of basically the beginning? Well, I do have an MBA. So the step mm-hmm. I took in between was commiserating with friends and family members that were all saying, The same thing, you know, my vegan, my plant-based friends were saying, yeah, I don't have something that I like. Or, you know, my paleo friends were saying, like, I don't want all the sugar. I had also diabetic family and friend members that, you know, also needed to have something that helped them manage their diabetes as well. And so here we were, it was a lot of us that were all kicking around the same processed creamers, powdered creamers, soy creamers, saying, like, we're not happy with the options we have on the market. And so one of them who actually had completed his first Kickstarter said, you need to do a Kickstarter. And so I'm like, I don't know. And so he said, it's, it's a good way to start. And I think it would do really well. And it was my very first foray, many of which, you know, I've had to do successively of putting myself out there because it's scary. You're putting yourself out there for failure, for criticism, for all these things. But I have learned every time I put myself out there in a genuine, sometimes vulnerable way, like people respond favorably. Yeah. So you took your basic recipe that you would come up with for um, this coffee creamer, um, clean ingredients, no additives. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But I want to first talk about how you then launched on Kickstarter back in 2013, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. 
what was your goal with that? Was it partly just to do a proof of concept to see if there's even a need for this to build some buzz? Exactly. Or raise, I didn't or know raise that money. Yet. No, none of that stuff first. <laughs> so I did Kickstarter for a multitude of reasons. Number one was I wanted to prove to my husband, who was an investment banker at the time, that this was not too small of a niche. He wasn't necessarily part of my target audience. Um, I'm lactose intolerant. He's not. But I wanted to find out if the niche was too small. I wanted to find out, am I just hopped up on pregnancy hormones and super picky? Or do other people care about having something that's, you know, healthy and delicious? And the reason why we did unsweetened nil was not just for paleo people for coffee and tea, but it was also so you had something that you can bake and cook with as Mm -hmm. well. So those savory recipes that are tough to do with pre-sweetened products you could finally do with something like nut pots so we decided to do a kickstarter we had very clear ground rules about you know telling our family and friends if you think that you will become a customer of nut pods uh, by all means i would love to have your support but we're trying to do this to find out if this is a viable business idea. So if you're giving me five bucks or 10 bucks because I'm your coworker or your neighbor, you know, I appreciate the support, but please don't because I want to know whether or not this has legs. Mm -hmm. And so we raised $32,000 like that in a month and it was around the world. So what that taught me was not only, no, I'm not the only one who cares about this, but actually there's a global need and a global opportunity for something like NutPods. Yeah. So you, raise that money in a month was that your goal did you set a goal for 32,000 and I know that's how Kickstarter works sort of right Kickstarter is all or nothing so mm-hmm. you set a goal if you set a goal for $32,000 and you reach $31,000 you don't get anything <laughs> and so um, but we did it for a month and the timing of nut pods was was actually really funny on Kickstarter because I had incorporated in July. By the time I got everything ready, you know, in time, it was September. But I realized people are going back to school. So September is not going to work. If you go November, December, you're getting to the holiday months where people are going to want to hold on to their disposable income. So October was the last moment Mm. that we could do it in 2013. And that was when I was due to deliver my second baby. (laughs) So we delivered Claire as planned week two of our Kickstarter campaign. So it just goes to show, you know, when you are determined and passionate and you believe in what you're doing, you will find a way to juggle it all. Yeah. And Kickstarter, you obviously had the rewards were probably set up for that. And I'm sure everyone who gave you money for the campaign was expecting to receive a product at some point. No. Was it promised to develop the product or did you say that on X date we would ship the product? Ah, so so you have done your homework. So Kickstarter has a variety of different backer rewards. Mm-hmm. And I remember all 510 of my Kickstarter backers. So if you wanted to give $5, you got a virtual high five from us. You know, thanks for supporting <laughs> our brand. It went all the way up to like $1,000 for like, you know, a picnic at the montage and to meet the Nutpots team, which was really me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> me, my baby, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, you know, for us, um, it was to get this concept of a soy-free, carrageenan-free, you know, unsweetened product to market. Now, originally, we had wanted to do those little tiny individual single-serve cups, just mm-hmm. like I told you about in Burt's Creamers. But 
I ran out after Kickstarter and I talked to my local forger at Whole Foods and I said, we're so excited. This is Nut Pods. We raised $32,000 in a month. Would Whole Foods be interested in this? And he said, hmm, you know, I can see something like this in Whole Foods, but have you thought about doing a carton? Mm. I said, no, our name is Nut Pods. We want to do the pods. (laughs) And he said, well, in our stores, you might sell like a box of nut pots once a month, but they'll buy a carton every week. So then I came back, talked to my advisor board that I had cobbled together of people in the food space because mm-hmm. I needed people that knew the space. I yeah. came from blood banking. <laughs> and they said, you know, I think you you should follow that advice because food service is tough. You know, you're trying to build a retail brand and food service. Mm-hmm. And so we pivoted our packaging. We took a look at ourselves and we said, Nut Pots isn't about the format. It's about what's inside, being rich and creamy, unsweetened, clean ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so that way, regardless of whether or not we're a single serve, 11.2 ounce or a larger size, you know, we're still Nut Pots. We're yeah. what's inside. So the format doesn't really matter. It's really what the, the product is inside it. Yes. And so I really find the 510 Kickstarter backers to be uh, an interesting little tidbit in your overall story. Because what did that 510 number of the people that backed you initially, what did that teach you about what you were doing? Because I'm sure hundreds and thousands of people have had ideas to start food businesses and had a recipe for something great and maybe even raised some money on Kickstarter. How many of them do we know about now? Not many. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn from that? Was it, you know, did you learn about um, that people really wanted the product? Obviously, you learned that and it was a global need for it. You probably, w- w- tell me some of the lessons, early lessons from the 510. So uh, 510 Kickstarter backers taught me step one of learning how to build a cult brand. Mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, were, like I said, people that knew me and supported me and, you know, were going to give me 10 or 15 bucks. But a lot more people than I had thought were strangers, never met me other than a three-minute video on Kickstarter. And it taught me, number one, how to communicate in a way that told people what I was trying to do. And number two, you know, conveyed that this is something that I believed in and was willing to get behind publicly mm-hmm. and to talk about. And, you know, those five and ten Kickstarter backers still have not gotten their original single serve cups. But you know what? The amazing thing is, is that they are still with us. We still get customer service where it's like, you know, thanks for the product. Love the pumpkin spice. By the way, I'm still, you know, I'm an original Kickstarter backer. Or my funny story is when I met a public spire, he was one of my original Kickstarter backers. <laughs> so, you know, what I, what it taught me was that mm-hmm. you can start with a group of people and then communicate with them and keep them active along your journey. It took us two years to get a commercial formula because we were doing something that was different. There had never been on the marketplace, Nell, at the time, something that was carrigan-free. We were the first. We yeah. were the first to be an almond and coconut blend because you want the richness from the coconut mm-hmm. and you tone that dominant flavor down with the almonds. We were the first to be a blend, and we were also the first to be unsweetened. So when I went to scale up my kitchen formula to a commercial formula, it took two years, a lot of failed trials for us to do that. But our Kickstarter backers were receptive and supportive because they knew that we were 
we were on our way of changing and doing something better, <laughs> something that was better for you. So even though, you know, our Kickstarter backers um, haven't gotten the original format, they have gotten the promise of what Nubhuds is inside the carton, and they're still with us today. And they were the original Amazon customers when we launched. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole reason why I went on Amazon was because, you know, what am I going to do with 510 Kickstarter backers? They got their rewards. They need a way to reorder us. So let's back up a bit to the, so between 2013 and I believe you finally had a commercial product in 2015. May 2015. So those two years, how did you keep um, 510 people who gave you money engaged, uh, excited, and and then converted them into these loyal mm -hmm. um, customers when you finally did launch an Amazon? Sure. So first, I shipped everything that was non-product. So they got their mugs, they got their t-shirts, oh. they got everything that wasn't the product itself. Mm -hmm. And then I also um, had a chance to meet some of my Kickstarter backers that were local in the area. I was in Orange County at the time, and I met one for a coffee, and I had her try it. And I just communicated through updates. And I think, you know... Part of putting yourself out there is also being able to be honest and, and tell them about like, th this is something that we're encountering, you know, problems with, but this is what we're doing. Yeah. So it's almost in a way what I'm doing now, you know, with my customers or investors where it's like, you know, we sold out, but we're ramping up our yeah. ingredients and being able to have that communication. And I think with, with most things with customer service, if people feel like you're really trying to help them, then even if the answer is not what they want, they're okay with it because they know that you are trying really hard. And mm -hmm. they knew I was trying really hard. Yeah. I mean, that is such a crucial point that often gets lost when you are building a brand sometimes. Um, and you're thinking of yourself as um, this name, this established entity that has this reputation that needs to be squeaky clean, and that you can't be vulnerable at any time. And I think most people these days um, appreciate brands that are more human. And sometimes mm -hmm. being human, I mean, not sometimes, being human means making mistakes. Being human means that you're going to not always have the answers. Um, but it, if the more honest you are, I guess, in the process, you end up actually having more loyal people on your side because... Uh, they can trust you at least. And I think that to me is, I, I never could understand how you could keep 500 something people engaged for two years when the product that they wanted hasn't even come around. And Kickstarter has also notoriously had many failures in terms of um, people who promised things and never delivered on them. But here you are, you mm -hmm. know, now we are in 2018. NutPods isn't just um, a little company anymore. Um so we'll kind of follow that train and that journey now for to Amazon. So you took this product onto Amazon. Were you clear from right in the beginning that you wanted to launch e-commerce first or online first? Or was it because you had a limitation of you didn't know how to do retail yet? So How much of this was planned versus you you just knew enough to take that next step and you had a product that could deliver there? I always believed in e-commerce and mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why I wanted to have something that was formulated, you know, shelf stable. So we wouldn't require refrigeration because it makes it compatible for e-commerce. And I, I had learned that, you know, with Amazon, you could set up overnight distribution, literally overnight versus the long slog of brick and mortar mm -hmm. retail distribution. So yes, it was always part of the plan. 
I think I had a pivotal moment and I'll refrain from the name, but I remember going to one of the industry functions and I got a chance to meet Silk's ex um, brand manager. And I was so eager to learn everything I could extract from this person to like tell me how to succeed with Nepods. And he told me he wouldn't make any business strategy decisions around food service or around e-commerce because it would be about 20% of the business. And I had to focus on retail, retail, retail. And I was thinking like, oh, like that's kind of my strategy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I decided I, I mold that around and then I came to the realization he's speaking from the lens of a mature business. So maybe mm -hmm. e-commerce is only 20% of his mature business revenues. But for me, it might be enough as yeah. a startup. And I can tell you unequivocally, straight up truth, if we had gone with a traditional brick and mortar, I would, I would not be in business today. Mm. Because as you know, the the sell cycle category yep. views, by the time you get approval, by the time you're on shelf, you know, that cash flow kills and cripples a lot of startup businesses. We were fortunate. We, I, I, I want to, here's, here's what I really feel as a personal journey. Napods is like a second puberty for me <laughs> <laughs> because as a 40 year old woman, I had to be comfortable with myself to be able to communicate and defend my ideas to investors. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, I had to learn to be comfortable in my own skin to be myself not to be what I thought consumers wanted, not mm. to be what I thought, you know, other industry people wanted a CEO to be like or anything like that. I just had to be myself. And so for me, I decided, you know, nobody knows. All these industry advisors give you their best advice, but they don't know because if they knew, they wouldn't be working. <laughs> and so I've got to find out what works for our brand. Just like as a mm. new parent, you got to find out what works for your new baby. Yeah, I wish that can be, you know, <laughs> I could productize your way of thinking <laughs> because it would make a lot of people very successful. <laughs> because what is unique about what I hear in everything that you're saying is that you were aware of your limitations. Yes. And you did your best to talk to the right people so that you could fill in those gaps of knowledge and experience that you lacked because of your background not being in food. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you weren't willing to listen to anything anyone told you because you also had the filter of, wait, how does that information apply to what it is that I'm doing mm -hmm. um, and what it is that my product is? But first and foremost, but you couldn't even do any of that if you didn't have a clear idea about your product and if you didn't have a clear goal with your product because it's easy to take anyone's advice if you don't know what it is that you're trying to achieve in the first place. But that's where the second puberty comes in because <laughs> you have to learn and grow within your own skin. One of my advisors, that advisory board that I had put together was this guy that had gone from Dartmouth and Neil, I tried to get into Dartmouth's MBA program and I did not get accepted. And he ended up being a VP of, you know, mm -hmm. a, a big fortune 500 company. So he had his jobs and he said, are you sure you want to hang your hat on being unsweetened because sugar sells in America? And, uh, and I thought about it and here <laughs> was this like super successful big wig guy mm -hmm. giving me advice and I decided no, because it is a cornerstone of how we're going to differentiate nut pots. So I, I knew what I wanted to create. 
And remember, I try not to lose the lens of being a consumer. I wanted to create a product that worked for a lot of people. And I wanted to be a company that people wanted to buy from. And I still hold true to those tenants today. Mm-hmm. So those these certifications we invest in, you know, we invest in them because it lends transparency to consumers. Because I remember being a consumer saying, well, is this naturally a gluten-free product or <laughs> is this, you know, certified gluten-free? Right. And so being able to have these recognizable certification marks, you know, tells the consumer that they can trust what's in this package. And being able to see, you know, happy sipping Madeline, hmm. mom and Nutpots founder means I'm not a figurehead. I'm a real person. Yeah. And that's why I'm a private person, but I do want to share because I'm proud of our products and I'm proud of what we're doing and helping consumers with their health. Yeah. And you know, I can almost imagine um, what those conversations early on must have been like talking to industry bigwigs or uh, investors even. And here you are, with uh, your Kickstarter story. And then, of course, you did a lot on Amazon very quickly. Within 18 months, you became one of the top 30 in the grocery category, which is um, amazing for a small company that kind of seemed to have come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to at least the food industry. As the way they look at it, you came out of nowhere. And I'm sure a lot of those initial conversations, they must have... um, I can only imagine what that's like. And, and I've experienced some of that in a very different space is where you, people will tell you your idea is too small. Um, you're not thinking big enough. You're up against competition that is way, they can literally create a product like that overnight. So why are you any different? Um, you need to diversify. You need to um, see where the trends are and kind of focus on what the consumers may want. So, you know, maybe talk about protein and talk about something else, not that that's relevant to your product. What I find interesting is that, and I can only imagine what those conversations were check, like. Check, 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> that you, at the end of the day, still stuck through um, your initial idea, which was solving this crucial need that for years and years and years, there was not, there weren't any, you know, uh, creamers available that were dairy-free, that were also free of all the things that most people who like to eat a healthy diet wouldn't want. And that simplicity of your idea is, in in one way, I mean, there's a lot more here than just that simplicity of your idea that has resulted in your success, is that simplicity is what has enabled you to say no, probably, to a lot of things that others who didn't have such simplicity and clarity would have probably said yes to and wouldn't even be sitting here today. Whatever you have as a startup, it's not enough, you Mm. know, and all of those things I have heard. And I remember, you know, in, in little and big ways, you know, small ways is like, did you formulate this with a chef or IE anybody who is not your tongue that's unproven? And so, and you have to just be able to say, you know, yes, I formulated in my kitchen. The thing about having proof of concept, I think is what really sets, you know, not pots apart is we did our homework in those two years that it took us time to formulate also in hindsight, as frustrating as it was at the time, because I'm not a patient person, it forced me to think about my business while I was formulating. So how am I going to go to business? How am I going to grow this? You know, and the answer became very clear that 
everyone talks about finding a cash cow. And I didn't know it at the time, but we have our cash cow. It's Amazon. Mm -hmm. Because the way that we chose our path with Amazon, which again is actually counter to a lot of other brands, we chose to be a seller. And even... Um, even when we've had multiple opportunities come over to, you know, the vendor side, we've still remained to be seller. And I'll tell you a couple of those reasons later, but just having, I would say the courage to do things differently and to realize that what worked for somebody else for their brand might work for their brand at that time under those market conditions. And I remember my husband, you know, that investment maker telling me, there's a million and one reasons why you might succeed. And there's a million and one reasons why you might fail. And for me, I prided myself in being a workhorse. Like I will work hard through Mm -hmm. a problem. I will work hard through a problem, but there are some things where you just can't deny luck, you know? And even though I have worked very hard as um, a pregnant entrepreneur, and I've worked very hard as, you know, a mom and a new CEO learning how to lead a company. I also have like been able to really understand that, you know, this is an evolutionary process and we have been aided by luck. Like we couldn't have designed a better market time to launch NutPods. People are going away from dairy. Mm -hmm. You know, FDA has just said, you know, reduce your, your sugars. Carrageenan was going out. (laughs) And most importantly, you know, part of that perfect storm is consumers didn't want to buy from big food anymore. They wanted to Mm -hmm. buy from crafted brands that they could, you know, touch and get to know and see. And even e-commerce, you know, five years ago, what was Amazon like versus what it is now and how people are buying staples and food and fashion Mm. on Amazon. So all of those things that just made a maelstrom, you know, for us helped nut pots. And I was prepared to work very, very hard. Yeah. It's like the stars aligning all around at the same time, but at the end of it, um, it's the execution that matters. I mean, everyone, almost everyone has had some sort of business idea at the end of the day. And I, ideas are cheap, but uh, mm-hmm. to go out there and actually execute on it and be able to um, make changes when things are not working. I'm sure you didn't ideally plan to wait from 2013 to 2015 till you had a commercial product, but you took advantage of that time to get to know your 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 um, potential customers, mm-hmm. your I think in many ways your brand ambassadors now, and then take that and grow with that. So Amazon obviously was a was obviously a smashing success, uh, and that kind of kickstarted um, after Kickstarter, <laughs> kickstarted your um, your growth really as a food company, and then eventually you did end up getting um, institutional investment. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me when and how did you decide that was the right time for it? Was it because of the success? Were you ready from a production standpoint? Uh, were people telling you you need to ramp up and produce more and distribute more? Mm-hmm. What were the reasons? So number one, I was out of family and friends <laughs> to hit up for for money, and so and I think the other thing too is we had grown to the point where you know one of the things that Nampas has done well and is that we have always been very laser focused and we know what we're good at and we don't try and chase that shiny new penny. So. One of the things that surprises people is, you know, we have built our success on three very hardworking skews, you know, original French vanilla hazelnut and in half like pumpkin spice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in being able to keep that focus, 
allows you to learn in a concentrated way about what you need to do to scale your operations, scale your marketing, scale everything that you need, you know, to grow a business. And then we were ready for the next chapter. So it's kind of like you have to learn how to get out of the the port as a new sailboat. And then at some point you're ready to unfurl your mask, you know, and then let the, let the winds go and kind of blossom as a brand. And so that's when institutional money came. I also came to an evolutionary process as an entrepreneur where you get a little bit biased when you read all the trade journals about like so-and-so is raising X millions and -and so-and-so is raising X millions in series A, B, D to D. And there was a time, to be honest with you, where I thought, you know, maybe we should raise like a, a lot of millions. And so, but the problem is, is that to be honest with you, we had created because of our, the design of our channel strategy, a profitable business that was sustainable with healthy gross margins. And so there was that part of me that wanted the validation of, you know, Nupots had raised like millions of dollars with so-and-so but we didn't need it. We Mm -hmm. didn't need it. And so now I've come to realize we have done it in such a, a good way where, you know, we always took that fail fast strategy. Let's try it. And if, you know, it's going to fail, let's like rip the bandaid off and then adjust. Mm -hmm. And then we've done that throughout our course. And I think being able to pivot like that is what makes a startup, you know, be able to outcompete a big company is having that nimbleness and being able to be adaptive. And I think, you know, for us now, you know, looking back, I'm so glad we didn't take the dilution of an early brand to take (laughs) on the millions of dollars. I'm glad I was able to be able to retain control of my company so I can grow it in the way that I see fit that is, you know, authentic and sustainable and making sure that NAPAS has every opportunity to succeed. Yeah, I mean, I think another word here is maturity. <laughs> I think that's a crucial part because a lot of um, um, young, first-time entrepreneurs tend to think that they need to follow some sort of playbook mm-hmm. and that if they check all the boxes in that playbook, things will just magically happen. If they raise a $5 million, um seed round and then they have a $20 million Series A, they're going to be successful. At least they're increasingly increasing their odds of success. Possibly. But if you don't know where you're spending that money and if you really need it. For you to say, I think something that you just said really some people need to hear is that we didn't need the money. How often do you hear um, an entrepreneur that's succeeding say that? I, I don't think often enough. And firstly, you have to understand dilution. And if, you, if you're going to raise investment, you're going to lose part of your company lose in the sense you're going to give up ownership for part of your company and potentially control. Um, and if you want to be true to what you set out to be in terms of your mission, it's important to retain as much of control and ownership as possible. And then when you do get outside investment, align yourself with the right kind of investor who shares that vision and mission of yours and is willing to give you the advice, but at the same time, let you lead mm-hmm. and make your decisions like you did from 2013, right? Leading up to the point where you did end up taking investment. Any factors you kept in mind while choosing an investor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and why did you end up going with the ones that you have gone with so far? Sure. Yes, it, it's true. I mean, I think everybody who starts a company wants the success formula. Tell me what to do and I will do it. <laughs> 
And so, and the problem is, is that there's just no formula. And so that's why it's really hard. I think everybody will will also hear at some point when they're raising money, make sure you choose the right partner, make sure you choose the right partner. And we have been able to be in an enviable position, to be honest with you, where we had attracted a lot of investors' um, interest because, you know, of the success that we were doing and how financially like disciplined we were growing it. I think it's easy to say, choose the right partner, Kind of like when someone tells you, you know, choose the right woman to marry mm-hmm. when you're like, but what does that mean? <laughs> you know? And so everybody looks good. Everybody mm-hmm. has successful um, brands in their portfolio. And, you know, people talk about chemistry, but I mean, chemistry over a meeting or two can, <laughs> you know, how many like second dates have we all been on where it's like, it looks pretty good. But by the time it's the fourth or the fifth, it's like, ooh. <laughs> so I think for us, the reason why we chose Circle Up it's because number one, we had raised twice in their platform before um, on the market side. Mm. So we went there with our idea and they helped us fill out our rounds. So we had had a working relationship with CircleUp. I think number two is I felt really confident that they believed in how I was growing the business. Because like you said, we were growing it in a very atypical way. And they believed in and they saw the value of online, of e-commerce, that it wasn't going away. It was only going to grow. And also, they never wavered in their belief mm-hmm. in me as a as a founder. So even though we had, you know, other funds that, that were interested in our brands, I didn't have that same history. And I also wanted to make sure that, you know, it's it's not just being able to, who you want to grow with, but it's like, do they believe in your direction? Do they believe in the calls that you're going to make as a CEO? And are they going to back you on that? Now, their role, of course, is to ask questions and to make me critically think about how I'm thinking about, you know, the business decisions that I have, but at least I was operating from a position of trust that Mm -hmm. I felt like they knew me and they knew how I had grown this business up to this point. And they were on board for the next chapter. Right. So, I mean, now let's talk about, you know, I'm going to move, Pat, you've got, you've got that investment now and you're potentially raising another round in the coming year. Is that um, still in the horizon? No, no, we don't have any plans to raise any more money at this point. Um, You know, again, that's even more impressive (laughs) in my opinion, at least. (laughs) Thank you. You know, the way that we have grown our business is very, has been disciplined. Mm -hmm. I mean, these three, that you see are still the three. Now we've got, you we're know, looking at the products now and looking listening. at the products <laughs> of, you know, of the three core lineup we have, we, we are anticipating launching, you know, a couple new things that we're looking forward to, mm-hmm. but it's not crazy. Like I'm not going to have 25 new SKUs or I'm not yeah. going to try and, you know, go into an adjacent category of yogurts. We want to be the go-to plant-based creamer. Mm-hmm. for American households. And so, and we're focused on winning at this category and then we'll see. But right now, you know, I'm not, I'm not chasing after an exit. I just want to grow a business that I'm proud of, that mm-hmm. my employees can be proud of and um, our consumers and our brand advocates want to buy from. Yeah. And to have that focus is, is, you know, crucial at the end of the day. I've said that before already today, but, um, that I think has been one of the reasons you're able to do things like say I'm your revenue funded right now, where you 
almost you could choose to get more investment, but you would really have to ask yourselves what you're going to do with that if you're ready to to take on a new category and if you even want to in the first place. And if mm-hmm. you're not focused on that right now, then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean it won't make sense down the line when you feel you are ready for that or you have a new idea for that. Um, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit now and um, go to um, talking about what you've, you know, because obviously now you're in retail as well. 5,000 um, stores. You're yeah. in 5,000 stores, so no longer just e-commerce. So your story has really been a unique one where you were able to re- leverage online tools to to get food in the form to people that was previously not done by a food startup, um, at least not that I know of in this space. Uh, you built this community. You were able to leverage community um, partnerships with your end consumers and um make turn them into ambassadors over the years that uh, you had them as consumers and doing that with the help of authentic engagement that you had throughout right from your Kickstarter days to the point now when you're in retail. Um, so shifting gears past the, the business evolution to what I think is also unique about your brand is you've managed to be talked about and reach consumers both in the, in what I sometimes considered to be two ends of the healthy eating spectrum, which is the paleo Mm -hmm. and the plant-based. I don't think that necessarily ends. If you're, I think it's more like a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. There's a lot they do agree on. Mm -hmm. uh, And they're probably the parts they disagree on is is 10 to 20%. Your product has managed to reach both of them because as we said before, you were able to create a ingredient list that is unbelievably clean, um, free of additives, free of sugar, as you said, everyone seems to be moving away from um, added sugars, additives, and everyone's afraid of, of weird-sounding stuff in their food. Mm-hmm. Tell me about engaging with audiences across dietary spectrums, uh, because you know we know the plant-based can, the plant-based community can be pretty fanatical, and so can be the paleo. I find that to be a unique part of the story. There are not enough p- products that talk about that and that make an, an effort to outreach or to reach people in both sides of this this dogmatic, uh, tribalistic um, food spectrum that exists today. How has that experience been for you? What were you keeping in mind? Did you even realize this was going to happen? I realized that we needed to have a niche marketing strategy. And I realized that you can't be all things to all people as much as you want. And, you know, thanks to that early advisor, like I knew I was going to be limited because not everyone is going to want an unsweetened product. So this is where being a cult brand really helps you accelerate your growth. If you engage in, you know, again, an authentic way, and I keep coming back to that because it's really true. I don't know how followers or consumers are able to sift through what's a paid, you know, paid post versus um, an unpaid post, but they've got a radar. (laughs) And so in being able to have us be able to position ourselves first and foremost as a dairy-free plant-based brand. So we're not a vegan brand. We're not a gluten-free brand. We're not a paleo or whole 30 brand. We are a dairy-free brand, which means we are an umbrella for a lot of people that have ended up being in either a dairy-free lifestyle 
whether or not it's by choice, whether mm-hmm. or not it's medical reasons, whether or not, you know, they're just trying to reduce their animal products or be healthier. Why not? We taste great. We're half, the calories of half and half and zero cholesterol. So it's a better for you product. Tastes, you know, just as good. And being able to appeal to a lot of different people like that has really helped us have that groundswell of consumers. So for people that are in the, the vegan plant base, we support them. We, pro, we you know, donate product to the Humane Society Gala. We do um, vegan festivals, things like that. We engage with them there. But I'm also not going to lecture or tell people on the paleo side, you got to give up your bacon. (laughs) And so, and being able to say, you know, we are providing a product that is a solution for people that Mm -hmm. are looking for a better for you product, then that's what's really been a key to our success. And, And I think with most cult brands, I think you would agree with me, it comes to something very simple, which is a superior product. You know, you have to have a superior product. You can only market your way so far, but it comes down to the product. And our 4,200 reviews on Amazon talks about we're the best product out there. And, you know, the cherry on top is like, we've got a really cool company behind that too. I think that has really helped us leverage into the retail side. So even though I have been less than three years in the marketplace, we are in Publix, we're in Wegmans, we're in Kroger, we're in Whole Foods. And the reason why we've been able to get these accounts that are notoriously late adopters like Publix is because not only have their customers been asking for us, like, can you bring in this NetPods brand? Because I can only get them on Amazon or Thrive. Or they're also able to like be able to see the benefits of the data that we bring. So we are able to say, hey, Mr. Retailer X, Y, and Z, we're already selling to mm-hmm. customers in the zip codes where you have stores of X amount of dollars a month. So we bring with us, you know, a base of consumers that are ready to buy nut pods. And by the way, they'd like to buy from you, but since you aren't carrying us, they're buying us online. They're the same customers. And that's what retailers didn't get for a little bit was everything. No, no. It's like a different customer. No, it's the same customer. They're just buying from somewhere (laughs) other than you. And so being able to give them, you know, numbers that back up how much we're already selling in their regions Mm. made it be like, okay, it's a good product, you know, cool company, and they're not going to be coming from a cold start has really enabled us to get retailers that normally would take a couple years. Yeah. So what do you think now about, um, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is the competition out there, right? You were the first to create a product like this. Of course, others noticed you, and now um, there's a line of them that, mm-hmm. are, that are competing in this market, offering a dairy-free creamer that is, most of them, I think, also are largely clean ingredients as well. What are your thoughts on now the bigger players or more well-funded players in the space entering into this space does that is that a cause of concern does it make you want to change the way you do things um how do you approach all of that i used to be worried to be honest with you you know like oh they've got so much more money than us but money doesn't make you better money doesn't make you better our product stands out on its own and you know sure they can have they can invest more money they can have out more SKUs, but at the end of the day consumer palettes are going to choose so we have always been 
the underdog in terms of mm-hmm. uh, in terms of financing, you know, and the capitalization. And some of that is by choice, as we talked about. But for me, what I focus on is not what the competitors are doing. They're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. I focus on. You know, are we coming out with the best quality products? Are we still engaging in our cold brand? And are we able to have accessibility to NetPod so that if people want to buy us online, we are there. If people want to buy us in stores, we are there. And that's how I look at my business is that, you know, money doesn't make you better. Focus on what matters. And I think things will will fall into place. Yeah, and I think another point that you can't ignore in this um in this story of competition is at the end of the day, someone, a hundred other companies can create even the same product. They can literally copy your ingredient list Mm -hmm. and have the same tasting product. They can even copy your packaging because they think it works. But another reason I think, I think this is true of any brand out there, but your, your testament to that. I think this is a clear example of that. If you are able to tell an authentic story, about who you are, about why you started the brand, um, about what the purpose of the of the product is. Of course, the product has to be good, and you said that. Uh, that outlives all the competition because at the end of the day, when everyone has the same product, the only thing that stands out is your brand equity that you've been building. And I think brand equity comes from... <laughs> You know, a lot of people can spend a lot on Facebook advertising and they can put sponsored posts everywhere um, in attempts to build brand equity by um, creating buzz around a brand. And there's ways to do that. And, you know, marketing experts can talk about that all day long and charge a lot of money for it. But no one can uh, take away from you what you've done uh, painstakingly, step by step from 2013, engaging sometimes even individually with customers in person and building that sort of loyalty, at the end of the day, when someone, in this day and age, I think the world we live in, like you said, I don't know how consumers figure this out, but they have an amazing bullshit radar. Mm-hmm. They can spot a fake from a mile away. They know when something's an ad. They know something, mm-hmm. when they know when something's an authentic story. And by being so focused as you have been, by having the maturity to do things your way, sometimes you know, in a way that most people would have thought was insane. And you would have most likely, you're setting yourself up for failure if you keep doing this, but still pushing through. That stand that's out at the end of the day more than anything else. And of course, you keep delivering on interesting products and you create great experiences for those customers. That, at the end of the day, when everyone's offering healthy, cleaner, better for you, better for the planet products, the companies that are going to win, in my opinion, and tell me if you disagree, are the ones that are going to be able to connect authentically with their end consumer. And they will outlast the others. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, most people in business will know about Porter's Five Forces. And Mm so, and you can, you know, you can structure your, your brand. The homework that I did in the two years that is like the incubation period while we were trying to go through our commercial formulas, you know, formula issues, is that it allowed me to think about how am I going to defend this brand? And trust me now, like the very first question any investor had ever asked me is, how are you going to compete against Coffee Me? <laughs> and so, but the thing is, is that you have to assess like what you offer versus your competition. And yes, you know, our ingredients can be copied and other people have come after us with a very similar product. But number one, 
it goes back to we are the best tasting product out there. And don't take my word for it. You know, Mm -hmm. read our Amazon reviews for that. I think the other thing, too, is you have to build a brand experience because as people can emulate your product, which is flattering, and it it validates that you're in the right space that's growing as you're attracting Mm -hmm. more competitors, it also allows you an opportunity to make sure that, you know, you really are building this brand experience the way you want. So not only do I want people to associate quality and um, trust with a product like nut pods, but I also want to deliver on extremely awesome customer service. Mm-hmm. I want our social media and our digital marketing to be, you know, fun and to be um, different and to be like, you know, we do giveaways. We um, support our bloggers and we support them in some of the events that they do and things like that where, you know, we're active in the community. And those type of things, like advertising dollars can only go so far. And it's not how consumers are buying now. Yeah. It is not. No one buys off of a magazine ad anymore. Mm. They buy because their coworker or their sister or their, you know, or their like hairstylist has said, you know, have you tried nut pods? It's really good. Mm. That's how people are buying. So that viral brand, that cold brand that we, you know, have created where people are telling other people like they found something that makes their life a little bit better, a little bit easier. That's, that's that earned space in social media that has really helped us pull away from our competition, mm. our well healed, deeper pocket competition. Yeah. I think earned media at the end of the day is the future. Um, Absolutely. You know, basically it's you, you, you're not paying for it. You're, you're getting people to talk about your products by virtue of them just being happy about Mm it. Um, And, you know, now you have social media influencers that are playing a key role in that. And again, if you talk about influencers as well on social media, the reason they are so successful is because they're authentic. And then if they're able to connect with other authentic brands, end users want a recommendation from someone they trust. Um, and then eventually they will want to trust the brand too if they have a good experience with it. So I think you're definitely on the right track. I mean, this is this is why I love what you're doing over here. I think it is so unique and it is so um, inspiring for anyone who thinks that you have to be a certain way to no be blue a food bloods aunt. required. No, no blue, blue bloods. bloods. You can be a you can be a mom. You can even be pregnant. Yes. You can have no idea about the food industry, um, and most importantly, you have to be aware of all those things and know that how the company that you build has to be true to who you are, mm-hmm. and the path that you chart for yourself has to be one that is uh, something they are willing to continue on and that you're proud of. Because at the end of the day, you you could have you know, taken a little bunch of money from different investors two, three years ago, and today been doing things that probably you didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got unlucky with the wrong investor or they forced Which you happens. to grow. Yeah, exactly. Because investors expect to get their money back and more. So uh, they will force you to grow much faster than you maybe want to grow even. Um, and that's another thing to keep in mind. So talking about growth and what's next, let's talk about the future. What's next for NutPods? What a story so far from uh, 2013 since the Kickstar- from the Kickstarter till now. We are 2018 and now you're in 5,000 stores. You're also still rocking it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. What, where do you see this go in the next five years to begin with? So I think number one is we want to be a leader in um, 
you know, product development. So coming out with innovative flavors and innovative products that, you know, are going to pique consumers' interest. And so you adapt, you learn, and you adapt some more. So one of the things we did last year is we tried an LTO, limited time mm. offer with pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice is pumpkin spice, right? So it's very singular. People love it. And so we were able to test it out, learn. And one of the things that's great is if you're able to build up your e-commerce channel, you can use it as an incubator channel. You can test price point, you can test packaging, you can test flavors out there. And then without falling on your face in retails, you know, in retailers and that like investment, again, keeping true to like failing fast. So it's like, let's see if this flavor works out well. So we're going to test it online. If it performs really well. It might be a fourth regular rotating skew. So we want to do that. We're also taking a look at new sizes that we want to have for consumers that they've been asking mm -hmm. for, um, for about the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then from there, we're, we've got a lot of different interesting, uh, potentials for a next product for us that we're evaluating. That's exciting. And it's amazing that you've now able to to leverage your online um, strengths to test things. Mm -hmm. um, We're very and, lucky in that mm -hmm. regard because not a lot of brands have that ability, but, you know, being able to sell as many households as we have, you know, it's a perfect incubator channel. Yeah. So what, what about your overall thoughts about the, the food industry and where you fit in within this larger picture of things? If you look, you know, I always ask this question of all my guests is, um, if you look ahead 30 years from now, mm -hmm. say the year 2050, what, you know, you, if the work that you're doing continues to make the impact <clears throat> that it has been making in the last five years, where do you see the food industry in the year 2050? Well, I can tell you where I see nut pods. Mm. So three things. Number one is I would love for nut pods to be recognized as something that has been a solution for people to take positive small steps for their health. I think number two is, you know, like I mentioned, I'm focused on winning on this category. I want to be the go-to creamer for baking, cooking, coffee, tea, you know, cook, create type of thing. And I think three is because of the proliferation and the growth of coffee globally, because globally people want better for you options. I see that there is a global appeal for nut pots when the time is right. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, in terms of the industry-wide, plant-based is definitely something that is growing. It's not a fad. It's a trend that's going to be staying. We were so proud to be one of the founding members of the Plant-Based Foods Association. We are you know, definitely a big believer in eating more vegetables, eating more food, eating less processed foods. And we're happy to be you know, part of, of that movement. I think the other thing too, is there are some trends that are just not going to revert. Consumers are not going to go back to, you know, I don't understand or care about where my food comes from. Maybe there's going to be a segment of the population that is, um, apathetic, mm -hmm. but consumers nowadays are very aware about their, their food chain and about who they're buying from. And I think it bodes well for a lot of, you know, successful challenger brands that are able to have a good product and a compelling message to connect with consumers. People are going to continue to eat healthier. We're not going to go back, you yeah. know, to, to artificial flavors or colors or like, it's just not going to happen because consumers are getting more educated. And as they get more educated, 
you know, they don't forget about <laughs> saturated fats or cholesterols and things like that. So I see these things as positive strides in the evolution of the standard American diet, which needs help right now. Yeah. You know, I think you're so right on all that. Um, I'm saying one, I'm going to say one last thing. I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting in front of you. I told you this before we got started recording today that I'm a bit of a coffee snob and mm-hmm. I tend to prefer my coffee black. Mm-hmm. But uh, We can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I've never wanted to typically add a creamer onto my coffee, except when it's an espresso. Um, but when you hear the story of a brand and you hear the people behind it and you hear how authentic and kind of real the the reasons you started this company have been and the reason you continue to do what you're doing, it makes you want to support the company, even if you don't necessarily put cream in your coffee. Thank you. Thank you. I think number one is one of the things that that I kind of take a little bit of, ha, I told you so, Joy, is remember (laughs) that investor that said like, so did you formulate this with a chef or anybody important? (laughs) Is because our product holds up to whether or not you're a chef, whether or not you're a registered dietitian looking at our ingredient panel, whether or not you're a coffee roaster where like, don't mess with my coffee. I want my coffee to come through. And that's the whole reason of Nupaz is that, you know, yes, we taste great in coffee and we taste great in Earl Grey tea or chai tea. But also, even if you want to drink your coffee black nail, that is okay. But when it comes like Thanksgiving time and you want to be able to make mashed potatoes or mm-hmm. sweet potato pie, you can use nut pods for all of those recipes too. And that versatility in our product appeals to people so that same carton, but multiple ways to use it. And that's what we're really proud of. Thank you, Madeline. This has been an amazing conversation. Thanks for taking the time today and for being on this podcast. Um, it's been fun to finally meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, Nell. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.